Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Lots to talk about about uh, the war in Ukraine uh, these days. Uh, we'll give you the update of what was happening with the uh, alleged cr- uh, drone attack on the Kremlin. Yeah, that's breaking news that uh, we heard about just a little while ago. Uh, but there are ongoing discussions happening. The White House now says that uh, it estimates that Russia has suffered about 100,000 casualties, and that's just since December, including what they say 20,000 killed as Ukraine has rebuffed heavy assault uh, by Russian forces in uh, eastern Ukraine. Uh, United Nations Security Council spokesman and the U.S. Uh, spokesperson John Kirby were uh, speaking to the media, and they say Russia's been struggling in what now has become a war of attrition. Here's what they had to say. The only area where Russia has made some incremental gains, and I want to focus on the word incremental, is in Bakhmut. And that really holds, as we've said before, very little strategic value for Russia. The capture of Bakhmut would absolutely not alter the course of the war in Russia's favor. I want to get into that uh, in just a couple of seconds uh, because it's very pivotal as to what's going to happen about, well, you know, spring offensive and counter offensives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we also want to touch on the breaking news from earlier this morning. And to do all of that, we're pleased to welcome back to the program uh, Aura Brown, who is a, a professor of international relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Uh, professor, pleasure to have you back on the program on such a busy day. Thank you for this. Thank you. Good morning. Let's. Uh, good morning to you, too. Let's talk a little bit about the breaking news from earlier today uh, about uh, the, the Kremlin announcing drone attacks on the Kremlin. Uh, and now accusing Ukraine of an assassination attempt against Vladimir Putin. Uh, what, what's what's your read on what you've seen so far? Information is coming in now uh, in fits and spurts, so it's difficult to discern exactly what has happened. Russia has made wild claims before. It could be deflection. It could be projection. It is highly unlikely that this was an assassination attempt since the Ukrainians are keeping a very close eye on the movements of the Russian president and the presidential spokesman in the Kremlin said that uh, Vladimir Putin was not even in the Kremlin. So uh, it is um, highly unlikely that the Ukrainians therefore would have uh, uh, targeted an assassination. Now we know uh, in terms of projection that in fact the Russians have repeatedly tried to assassinate uh, President Zelensky. And these allegations could be an excuse for unleashing a new series of attempts on the life of the Ukrainian president. It could be uh, also a prelude to attacks on more civilian targets by the Russians to say that this is just retaliation. We will have to see. But at this point, I think it is healthy to exercise some skepticism about the Russian allegations, given the track record of disinformation coming from the Kremlin. Well, and that's one of the things I think that's got a lot of people uh, asking questions right now. I know one of your colleagues uh, from uh, one of the uh, universities in the UK uh, asked, uh, I think, a a very germane question here. Uh, How did it get that close to the Kremlin? I mean, the way that they protect Vladimir Putin uh, and the defenses that they have, how in God's name did two drones get through there? And and, and he says it's more than coincidence, by the way, that the drones were destroyed before they hit anything. Uh, It almost sounds as if this whole thing was orchestrated. It would not be surprising that uh, this was orchestrated uh, as uh, a means of, uh, you know, finding some uh, provocation. It would be very difficult to get through that much Russian territory. I mean, uh, Moscow is quite far from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. If uh, somehow this does turn out to be Ukrainian drones, uh, it would be very bad news for Russia in general because it would show extreme vulnerability, the vaunted 
defense system, air defense system, anti-ballistic system that Russia deploys would have shown to be ineffective. Any drone attack uh, ought to have been defeated way before it came even remotely close to the heart of uh, Moscow. Uh, the Russians can't have it both ways to say this special operation is a phenomenal success. They're going to get rid of this illegal regime and do away with uh, uh, an artificial country that shouldn't exist called Ukraine. And at the same time, uh, show this kind of vulnerability that uh, you could have uh, drones uh, with explosives come that close to the Kremlin. So it doesn't quite add up. And uh, therefore, this may be much more in the realm of Russian uh, disinformation. Uh, and and more to come on this. I, I'm sure in you know the hours and days ahead as as we talk about this. Uh, if we could, Professor, let's circle back to what's going on uh, in Ukraine right now. And and we know about the the, the Russian winter push uh, that's been going on for quite some time right now. The figures from the uh, the State Department in the states now indicate about a hundred thousand fighters uh, from the Russian forces have been killed or wounded. Uh, that's since December alone, and that includes, uh, by the way, some of the Wagner troops. Uh, that are involved in this too. Uh, and we're hearing stories again that they're having trouble recruiting. Uh, that's that's an awful lot of people that were either killed or injured, and uh, they need more people on the front lines right now. And and we're told uh, that, that, that it's becoming a, a bigger problem almost on a daily basis to try to get bodies to fill uniforms. It has been a problem in Russia, and this is why we saw the Wagner Group recruiting convicts very large number of them. And as you pointed out, half the people apparently were killed came from the Wagner group. And uh, these are people in prison uh, who were promised freedom if they survive. And uh, um, it is a kind of selective use uh, of people for cannon fodder. Uh, the Russian uh, government, the Russian military does not seem to care very much about their own soldiers, but there's a kind of gradation they will use convicts, they're the most disposable. Then they will use minorities from the Far East, from poor regions of Russia. And uh, the people they care most about would be the middle class uh, uh, recruits. And we saw that when Vladimir Putin introduced conscription, 300,000 people, perhaps as many as a million young men fled the country who did not wish to serve. So there is a problem. Russia does not have an infinite supply of people, but uh, just a cautionary note, it is not the same as in the West. Uh, 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 when uh, in the West uh, uh, you have uh, people who die by the hundreds, there are, are uh, newspaper stories, there are protests in the street, there are parliamentarians or members of Congress who oppose it. In Russia, the media is tightly controlled by Moscow. There is no opposition permitted in the streets. Opposition leaders have been uh, jailed, and consequently, Russia is able to sustain an operation longer, though not infinitely, even if it incurs heavy, heavy losses. Professor, what about the strategy uh, that's being employed here, especially by the Ukraine army? Uh, the, the, the battle, as we talked about, about the winter offensive, seemed to circle to a great extent about around Bakhmut. Uh, and, and there are some strategists that are saying that's probably not the most effective use of Ukrainian troops. They may have backed off a little bit to, to be able to regroup, uh, yet they haven't. Uh, and, and the suggestion is, look, at, as, as long as we're stalling them there, uh, that gives us a chance to, to, to reassemble ourselves for their counteroffensive. 
Um, strategically right now, I mean, they want they want to win this war. They're trying to drive the Russians out of there right now. Uh, but are they are they using the strategies that are going to get them toward that goal? We will have to see what happens in the next uh, while, uh, days, weeks, or, or months, whether there will be a successful Ukrainian counteroffensive, because ultimately they need to take back territory. And, uh, you know, armchair generalship is common in all conflict. And so there has been a debate whether this was a wise move on the part of Ukraine. The strategy supposedly was that Ukraine will absorb as many blows as possible and deplete Russian forces so they would not be capable of an offensive. They would not uh, have a successful winter or spring offensive. And also that these forces uh, in Russia would be sufficiently depleted that if and when the Ukraine offensive takes place, that offensive will be successful. And that is the key. We have to see if that offensive will take place. And if it does, will it be successful? If uh, that is what happens, then the strategy of depleting the Russian forces uh, at Bakhmut, where the Russians were hoping that Ukraine would run out of bullets before they run out of bodies, and that has not happened yet, then that strategy would be vindicated. On the other hand, if the Ukrainian offensive turns out not to be successful, then there will be questions undoubtedly whether Ukraine was wise to take losses. We don't know exactly what the Ukrainian losses were. They very likely were not on the scale of those of Russia, but nonetheless, they probably were significant. When you say a successful counteroffensive, uh, does that mean retaking uh, the city that, that was lost, whether it's Bakhmut or, or other areas like that, or is it simply driving the Russians backwards? It wouldn't be Bakhmut. Bakhmut is not that important strategically. What the Ukrainians need to do is to break the land bridge that the Russians have built to Crimea. So they would need to take back areas like uh, Melitopol, like uh, Mariupol, uh, the uh, uh, East Bank uh, uh, facing uh, Kherson, uh, and then eventually even perhaps move into Crimea. But certainly that land bridge has to be dealt with. And ironically, the Ukrainians had the momentum in September, but they did not have the weapons. United States, Germany, they were not step, stepping up to the plate. And this is where you get to the larger question that was uh, dealt with by Ann Applebaum and Jeffrey Goldberg in the, the article in The Atlantic, where they talked about the fact that this is something that is not just about Ukraine. This is something that involves the interests of democracies. The democracies need to have an enlightened self-interest where they appreciate that this war is about the larger issues. And it is. It is about international law. It is about international institutions. It is about the future of democracy. There's a lot at stake. So this kind of isolationist idea that, well, you know, uh, the Russians uh, are taking action in Ukraine, but does this really affect Germany or France? Well, you don't wait until the last minute, you know, hoping that uh, you will be the last one that the crocodile wishes to eat. Why statesmanship is about prevention, it is about thinking in the long term and seeing the larger picture. And that is what is essential. So hopefully the West now has learned to give Ukraine what they need so they have the capability to retake the initiative and engage in a successful offensive. And the Russians are pushed back. Even if Ukraine does not manage to take Crimea back, 
it could force Russia into viable negotiations rather than what Russia wishes to do at the moment is basically just to dictate terms to Ukraine. Problem, of course, is that there are some some loud voices in the United States right now that are presenting the alternative to that. Uh, that, that this is an isolated incident, and and uh, I know the Biden administration is fighting back against that too. So it's uh, it's going to be a war of words as well as sadly what's going on on the battlefield. Professor, always great to get your perspective. Thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Professor Arlo Brown from uh, University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.